I was reminded, free at last, free at last. Thank God I'm free at last, right? No longer a slave to fear because we are a child of God. It's a great intro into what we'll be looking at today. Uh, as we begin, also we wanted to look, focus a bit on our vision, living the hope of Jesus' gospel in our communities under which our five values, we'll end up touching on three of those, I believe, today, the biblically centered, seeking God and equipping the saints. So with that, uh, let us join together in prayer as we begin our study this morning. Father, we thank you that we can gather here as free children of God and we desire to learn more and more of what that means and what that looks like in our lives. And I pray that your spirit would be very much in our midst this morning to open our eyes to see you in new ways, or perhaps to see uh, some of the old things we believe refreshed and renewed in new ways. I pray, Father, that you would help us to know what the hope of the gospel is, not the hope of this world, the fleeting and unsure hope, but the sure and permanent hope of the gospel. And help us not just to know it, but to be able to live it out in our daily lives and in our communities. We desire truly to be biblically centered, to order our lives around the truths of your word. We desire to seek after you in prayer and in study and in fellowship. And we desire to be equipped to face the world, to do the work that you have set before us. And so I pray that your spirit would be at work in our midst to accomplish that today. So we thank you for your grace. Thank you that we can be here. And as has already been prayed, we pray that the words that will be spoken from now on are not my words, but your words, and that your spirit would use those things for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, just as a reminder, as we get into this, there is a note sheet in your uh, bulletin. So if you'd like to follow along and take notes, please uh, be reminded of that. Uh, this is a quote that's actually taken, many of you know Marilyn Britt, uh, was a member of our church, is now studying overseas to learn Arabic and to learn the, the Arab Muslim culture. Uh, this is in her newsletter, I am carried on the shoulders of those who cannot see the landscape I describe. I owe them far more than my weight. Um, she is saying, I can see better than those who came before me, but the only reason I can see more is because I sit on their shoulders. Uh, so what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take 30 seconds and just think of someone to whom you owe gratitude for who, for who you are today. I'm just going to take 30 seconds and think of someone to whom you owe gratitude for who you are today. Okay, we'll be coming back to that a little bit later. You can keep that person or those persons in mind. Uh, where we have been uh, thus far is for those of us who believe in Jesus, our relationship with God is securely based on who is in us, that is God the Holy Spirit, and whose we are. We belong to Jesus Christ. Our relationship with God is securely based on who is in us. We have God the Holy Spirit. 
and whose we are. We belong to Jesus Christ. Our relationship with God is based not on who I am or what I do, but on who He is and what He has done. So now what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 8. We're going to look at verses 12 to 17 today. Uh, And I once heard this, I actually am inviting you to what may be one of the greatest privileges that we can enjoy in this world, and that is the reading and studying of God's Word that He has left to us. So I'm going to read this, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17, and we're going to be focusing today on what I've called a new way to live, a new way to live. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The uh, first words there, verse 12, so then, we've talked about that before, it's the same as a therefore. So what is, anytime you see therefore, what question do you want to ask? What it's there for, right? So he says, so then, what he's referring to is what he has said before. He's going to give us the the implications of what it means to live out the realities that we've already looked at in verses 2 to 11, that Christ has done for us what we could not do, that he came and fulfilled the requirements of the law. We have the Spirit of God living within us. And so what does that mean for us in our daily lives, basically, is what he's going to start discussing this week. I'd just like to pause here for a moment. He says, so then, brothers, so then, brothers, uh, dear sisters, that doesn't exclude you. This is a word that can, can either be narrowly defined as a male, brother, or exclusive or inclusive of all. So you can actually read brothers and sisters here. Uh, and so I just want to make sure that no one is uh, checking out because it's not addressed to them. However, there's another thing to say. Because he says brothers, he says, so then brothers, he's talking about those of us who are members of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is not specifically addressed to you. It becomes an invitation to you to join the family. And so what we're going to talk about this evening are the benefits this evening. Did I say that? What we're going to talk about this morning are the benefits of being members of the family of God. And so that applies to the brothers and sisters. That applies to those of us who are believers. But if you're not a believer here today, you're still welcome. You're invited into the family if you'd like to be part of that. So as you listen, listen with that in mind. So the first thing we're going to look at are verses 12 and 13. And we're going to see here this new way to live. The first is that we are debtors to God. He says, so then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And by implication, he doesn't say, yeah, but we are debtors to God. That's the implication here because in verse 13 he says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
What does it mean to be a debtor to somebody? Well, it usually means we owe them some money, right? They've loaned us something and we uh, owe them something. Uh, why are you laughing? <laughs> I would say that is me. I have to say that was me. Uh, that's my high school graduation picture. I won't tell you. It was in 1903. Uh, but the most important part of this is that man there, uh, Mr. Holbritter. Uh, Mr. Holbritter was the 10th grade uh, biology professor. The rumor had it in the, uh, in the junior high that this course was going to be horrible. This was terrible. He was a slave driver, and you were going to suffer greatly under his hands. Uh, by God's grace, God used this man to ignite a fire in my life, a love for biology, a love for anatomy and physiology. Uh, many of you know I'm a medical doctor today. There's a direct path from him to me uh, through that. Uh, my medical career uh, started with him. Uh, I owe him. I am a debtor to him. I am indebted to him. Why? Do I owe him money? Do I have to pay him? Uh, no. He, what it means that I am indebted to him is that he has so influenced the course of my life that I was totally changed. Because of him, I am who I am. So, brothers, we are indebted to God. It's not that we have to pay God back. We don't owe him anything in the sense of financially I, I have to pay him back. It means that because of what he has done for me, I am forever changed. I am forever changed. And because of the, God, the Holy Spirit living in me, I can now live a new life, putting off sin. So I am indebted to him. I used to live in the flesh, I used to live in the flesh. I used to live according to my own desires, and in a sense, I was indebted to that. But what was I getting from that? I was getting suffering. I was getting pain. I was getting death, Paul says. Uh, I am now indebted to God because he has set me free from that. Because of what the Spirit has done for me, I am forever changed. And so the fact that I am indebted to Mr. Holbritter does not mean that I owe him anything. It means that my life has been changed. The course of my life, the actual day-to-day -day outworking of my life is different. Think of those people that we had talked about before that you are indebted to for your, for your life, someone to whom you owe gratitude for who you are today. Being indebted to God is far greater than any of those people as much as the influence they had in our lives. If I am indebted to Mr. Halbritter for what he gave to me, how much more am I indebted to God? How much more should my daily life be affected by love for him and appreciation for him and what he has done for us? And so that's what Paul is talking about. We are debtors not to the flesh, but to the spirit, he says. Because if you live by the flesh, you will die. You will continue in that path of destructive behaviors. But if by the spirit you put to death those deeds, you will live. So, that is what it means that we are debtors to God. Well, let's go on to the second one. We are sons of God. We have been uh, adopted, he says. If you look at verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We were once alienated from God. We were once enemies of God. We were once part of the course of this world. And God rescued us 
out of this world to adopt us as his children. And we can now call him both father, which defines the nature of the relationship. He's our father, we are his child, we are his son. But we can also call him Abba, which is an intimate, it's almost like daddy, dada. It's, it's an intimate, it's a personal term. So think about this. The great God of the universe who created everything, who is high and holy and above us, if he walked into this room, everything would disappear in the radiance of his glory. We could not exist in that. He has called us into relationship with himself. And not only can we call him Father, we can call him Abba. The people Paul was writing to would have known the Roman custom. Paul is referring here to a Roman custom whereby a man without sons, a man without sons could adopt a slave or a free man as his own son with all the rights and privileges of a son. So a man in that culture in that time without a son could adopt either a slave or a free man as his own with all the rights and privileges that come along with that. As a matter of fact, that new son was considered officially a new creation as if he had been born again. Interesting language, right? So the people would have known this, that what it means to be a son of God. It means that we were on our own. We were out there, perhaps, and what Paul's talking about, not even perhaps, we were slaves to sin. We are slaves to the ways of this world. We are slaves to our flesh. And God rescued us. He, he, not just, he didn't just save us or rescue for that, for he called us into relationship with him. He has adopted us as his children. Now, another, it's interesting how this has come up. So another word to my sisters here. Uh, you may chafe against being called a son. Uh, and I can understand that. Uh, just as much as I am amused by God calling me part of the bride of Christ. Uh, but don't chafe against being a, called a son here. You, you want to be called a son. Some people talk about the Bible, well, we need more inclusive language, so it really should be sons and daughters. No, if, it's, if you call it sons and daughters, you ruin the, the metaphor that Paul is using here. In this case, you want to be a son because this refers, as I said, to the Roman custom that Paul is talking about that a man could adopt a son and it would become his with all the rights and privileges that come along with that. So in this case, you do want to be a son of God. We are adopted by God. We are fully accepted by our father, our new father, who is God. That relationship is permanent and it is secure. It is not a temporary relationship. It is not something we have to worry about. We are adopted. We are forever his because the God of the universe has adopted us as his own. And God has shown himself to be a good father who intimately loves us. He will not reject us. There may be some of you here who are saying now who have said in the past, well, I can't really trust God as father because I never had a good father. I, I had a bad father, and so that's how I relate to God. Sadly, it is true that there are bad fathers, and in truth, we have to admit that even the best fathers among us are not perfect. There is only one perfect father, and that is God. And if you've never had a good father, how do you know you never had a good father? It's because God has placed in our hearts what a good father should look like. 
God is the perfect standard that informs us what a bad father looks like. The only way you would know that something is bad is if you know what good looks like. So we have God's fatherhood of us to illustrate what goodness is. So if you have trouble understanding what a good father is because your father was a bad father, that's all the more reason to be seeking God, to know who he is, because you will find him to be loving and true and holy and concerned about you. God is that perfect standard. So Paul says here, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We, by natural birth, we live in this slavery to sin with this fear of, of what happens after I die? What happens with this life? What's, what's going to happen with my life? There's fear of rejection. There's fear of punishment. There's fear of death. Paul says that slavery to fear is gone. You don't have that spirit of slavery anymore because you are a child of God himself and you can call him Abba, Father. Well, let's go on to the third point. We are heirs of God, and we'll see that in verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs of God. Think about what that means. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are an heir of God. All that the Father has is yours. You are an heir of God of God. Anybody? Who is it? Somebody said it. Jeff Bezos, CEO of Amazon. Uh, when I was thinking about heirs and inheritances, I did a search on the richest men in the world. And uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, anyone, you don't even have to guess what his net worth is. $105 billion is his estimated net worth. Wouldn't you like to be his sole heir? His only child to whom you, well, we could split it two or three ways. I think that would be all right. I could have a brother or a sister. There's no small chunk of change there. And as big as that number is, we think that's amazing. But imagine, imagine being an heir of God. Imagine being an heir of God. Infinite riches beyond anything we can imagine. $105 billion looks like pocket change. I can't even imagine a billion dollars. I, can't, I, can't, I have no frame of reference, but $105 billion looks like pocket change compared to, I mean, pocket change is even too much, compared to the riches that God has and who he is, that we are heirs of God. Part of the problem with our inheritance, though, is it's not visible. We can look at Jeff Bezos. If he was my father, I could look at him and say, okay, as soon as he's gone, it's all mine. But we don't see our inheritance with God. We don't see it. We, we tend to doubt that it's there. So I'm going to refer here to Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, where Paul says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
See, by God's mercy, he has placed his Holy Spirit in us, and that Holy Spirit becomes at least two things to us in regard to the inheritance. He becomes the seal, the seal. Have you ever had a document that you needed to have an official seal place? You go to the notary public, and they have to put their seal on that, or you go to the bank, they have to put their seal on that. What is that? That's a that's a mark of authenticity. That's an official declaration that this is true and valid and unchangeable. That we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. But not only that, we are the guarantee, or the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of an, our, our inheritance. Some translations you're reading will say pledge. Others may say down payment. The Holy Spirit, if you're going to buy a house, what do you do? You put a down payment on that house. What is the purpose of the down payment? It's to guarantee to, that, to the seller that you're actually going to do this because you put an amount of money in there that you don't want to lose. This is your guarantee you're going to buy the house. Now, sometimes we back out and we lose our down payment. God's not going to back out on this deal because he's not going to lose the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself, God himself is our guarantee that this is going to happen. So not only are we heirs of God, God has sealed that. He has given us the down payment for that. He's the guarantee of that. But then Paul goes on to say here in verse 16 or verse 17, if you are children, then you are heirs, heirs of God and what? Fellow heirs with Christ. So Jesus really is the rightful heir of all that is God's. Jesus is God's only son. He is the rightful heir. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we become sharers. We participate. We are fellow heirs. We are co-heirs with Jesus. Now, I'd like to go back to our illustration a little bit. Uh, so, Jeff Bezos, his net worth is $105 billion. I said, well, let me just play with this a little bit. Uh, there are 8 billion people, well, they say 7.6 billion, I rounded it up. There are approximately 8 billion people alive in the world today. So if Jeff Bezos' inheritance was equally divided among all of us, your share would be, that <laughs> $105 billion all of a sudden doesn't seem like so much, does it? Uh, you would get $13.13. I said, all right, let's really put it through. It's really 7.6 billion people in the world, not 8 billion. Well, your share would go up to $13.82 instead of 13 cents. You get an extra 50 cents out of it. But if there have been, and I have no idea on these numbers, if there have been 8 billion believers in God over the centuries, and you divide infinite riches among 8 billion people, how much does each person get? infinite riches. You don't get $13.13. Now, I'm being very concrete here. I, I understand that, and I don't know that we can always be that concrete, but yet God's giving us this image to work with. God's riches are infinite, and he can split it among all of us. We are fellow heirs with Christ and not lose a penny because God's riches are infinite. They are uncountable. They are inexhaustible. And they are guaranteed to us because the Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of that inheritance. And not only has God given us the, the Spirit as a seal and guarantee, but look what he says in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I was very frustrated by this as a young believer, just having turned my life over to Jesus Christ, and I didn't feel like it. 
And I asked the older believers, older believers, they were high school or college seniors instead of college freshmen, uh, how do you know? And he said, well, you know because the spirit within you will bear witness that you are a child of God. There's that inner witness of the spirit. And I, find, I just find this so touching. Look what it says there again in verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. God does it himself. He doesn't entrust this to anybody else. He doesn't send an angel. He doesn't send a message. He doesn't send another person. He sends himself. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We've already seen that once in Romans. We're going to see it again as we go on. But we've already seen it in verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. God has done for us what we could not do. God does not leave this to anyone else. He takes the personal responsibility on himself. Have you ever been in some place where, you know, you're at work maybe, and they say, well, you know, the boss himself came down. Well, what does that mean? The boss considers that this is such an important thing to do that he's going to take care of it himself. He's not going to send someone who's under him. He's going to do it himself. Well, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God does not leave something this important to anyone else. He does it himself. Can't you just hear the violins playing and the orchestra swelling and the music coming and the birds are singing and the sun is coming out and the skies are blue? And he says in verse 17, and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. What? All right, what, what happened to all the good news? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I'm just going to say this because this is really a preview of coming attractions. We're going to come back to this and explore this in more depth as we get further into Romans 8, but I'm going to say this. We will misunderstand who God is and how he works in our lives if we do not understand how God uses suffering in the lives of his children. I'm going to say that again. We will misunderstand who God is and how he works in our lives if we do not understand how God uses suffering in the lives of his children. How many of us have gone through a period of suffering and say, God doesn't love me? God must not care about me because of these difficulties that are coming. We're going to dig into that further as we go along. So I'm sorry to leave you hanging uh, but this is a preview of coming attractions. One of the TV shows I used to watch when I was growing up was uh, Lost in Space. Not the modern one, the old one. And every show ended with some major disaster about to happen. Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion of, well, that's what this is. We're leaving you dangling with this because we're going to come back to this later. This is a preview of coming attractions. So we are debtors to God, we are indebted to him, we are permanently changed, and we owe to him our lives because of that change. Our lives should reflect our desire to serve him. We are sons of God by his adoption of us, and we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Well, let's spend a little bit of time here just thinking this through. So God has adopted us as his sons. He has given himself, the Holy Spirit, to live within us. And the Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of that new relationship. And the Spirit is the one who inwardly reassures us that we are a son of God, that we are a child of God. 
God has adopted us as his sons. He has given himself, the Holy Spirit, to live within us. And the Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of that new relationship. And he is the one who inwardly reassures us. So we can now call God Abba, Father. What do you do in the midst of a mess? How confident are you that he will receive you regardless of what you have done? How confident are you that he will still receive you regardless of what you have done? Do you say, I've messed up too much for him to care? Do you say, let me clean up my act first and then I'll come back to God? Paul says here, we are no longer slaves to those kinds of fears. He has not given us a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We are no longer slaves to those kinds of fear. We are full heirs of God the Father. We are secure in our relationship to Him. We are intimately related to Him. We have no reason to fear how, we resp- how He will respond to us, whether we are weak or whether we are disobedient. Either way, we can be weak, we can be immature, we can be foolish, or we can be disobedient. We have no reason to fear that He's going to reject us or that He's going to turn from us. Many of you know uh, my wife and I were away in northern Maine this last week visiting the grandkids. This is four-year-old Minar. Uh, Minar wanted to help me blow up the air mattress we were sleeping on. And so you can see here, he is helping me. His hand is on the pump, my hand is on the pump. It took me a little longer to blow it up than it would be if I didn't have his help. But did I reject him? Did I turn him away because of his weakness or his immaturity of what he didn't know? No. And this is his brother, Modig. Uh, He helped me blow the other one up. So Modig is uh, three years old. So did I revile them? Did I reject them? Did I turn them away because they are immature and they don't know how to do this and they took the wrong cap off instead of the one they needed to and they didn't know how to put this thing on, but they were, going, they were eager to help. And when we were done with this, what are they going to tell mama and papa? I helped grandpa blow up the air mattress. And is it true? It is true that they helped me blow up the air mattress. Now, they needed my help. They couldn't have done it on their own, but they did it. That's how God relates to us. He does not reject us because of our weakness or our immaturity or what we don't know. I embraced these kids and taught them at an appropriate level. That's how God deals with us. He embraces us. He teaches us. He doesn't doesn't look down on us of what we don't know. He comes to us and says, okay, I will be here and I will help you. I will show you. I will teach you. I will be here with you. He does not reject us. And this is 18-month-old Tana. Uh, Delightful. This is actually a shameless uh, presentation of grandfather showing the grandkids. I just love having the form, right? I can just do this and you have to sit here and watch because just be grateful we're not showing you all the pictures. Uh, but this is 18-month-old Tana. Now, Tana's uh, contribution to this illustration is a little different because we're going to zero in here a little bit. If you look closely at her mouth, there's a black line. I don't know if you can see that. 
You see that? Uh, that's a row of stitches. Yeah. Several days before we arrived, uh, Tana did something that her parents continued to tell her not to do, and that was to push herself back from the table when she was done. And one of those days, it was the perfect storm. She pushed herself back. There was no one there to catch it. The chair went over and uh, cut clear through her lip, clear through her lip. So several days before that, before we got there, this is what happened. She fell and had an injury resulting from something she was not supposed to do. So I can imagine you would think her parents would say, well, you're just going to have to take care of this problem yourself. We told you not to do this, and you got into this mess, and it's all your own. Is that what they did? I don't want to show you the selfie my daughter took of herself holding the baby in the emergency room because it's obvious my daughter was crying. Her heart was broken over the injury that her daughter had suffered even though that injury was because of disobedience. If an earthly parent does not reject us because of our disobedience, how much more will our heavenly Father not reject us because of our disobedience? Instead of scolding her, I told you not to do that, instead of rejecting her and saying, you know, you're going to have to take care of this on your own, what did they do? They comforted her. They provided medical care. They rushed to her. They scooped her up. They held her. They were willing to get the blood on their clothes as it was dripping off of her mouth. They were willing to make the sacrifice necessary to do what it is to bring her to healing. How often do we look at God as this person who's going to turn his face away from us because we've done something wrong, that we've openly disobeyed something he's told us to do, and we think that somehow he's going to reject us and say, go back, go to your room, and don't come back until you can talk to me in a nice voice. God doesn't do that. God embraces us. He comes, he scoops us up and takes us to the emergency room. He brings healing into our lives. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. We are debtors to God because he has adopted us as his children. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We can call him Abba, Father. Think of that person to whom you owe a debt of gratitude in your lives. How much more do we owe a debt of gratitude to who God is and what he has done for us? How much more should our lives change? We should seek after God because of what he has done for us. We are indebted to God to learn how to live as his child with him as our Abba, with him as our Father. So this week when life happens and you think you've blown it or you think you just can't do what God's asking you to do, remember that the Spirit himself is there with you as the seal and guarantee of the inheritance, he's not going to let you go. He's not going to lose his down payment. He's not going to lose his child. We are indebted to God as his adopted children to learn how to live as his child with him as our Abba, our Father. Let's close in prayer. Father, 
I don't even know how to end this, to think that we are your adopted children. You have adopted us as your own with all of that 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 means. That we are secure, we are permanently yours, we are set free from any slavery of fear, of worries that you will reject us, that we will have no place to go. You have given us a new way to live. You will not reject us. And now we are indebted to you to learn how to live as your child with you as our Abba, with you as our Father. And you have given us the spirit within to teach us, to guide us, to reassure us, to empower us. We are debtors to you. We are your sons. We are heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. And Father, as you've given us that spirit within to change and transform us, we acknowledge that you will change us from the inside out. That you will work in our lives to conform us to your image that we can be worthy of being called your children. And that's something that you will do on our behalf. We cannot do it ourselves, but you will do it for us and in us. And so I pray, Father, that wherever we are, if we are feeling weak, that we do not deserve your love, if we feel or have been, not even feel, but we have been disobedient to you and are suffering the consequences of that, help us to acknowledge that you are not rejecting us at that moment. You are coming near to us to scoop us up and to comfort us and to lead us to healing. And Father, I pray as we began, if there's anyone here who does not know you, who does not have a relationship with you, may this be the day that they come to you, that they too can come to the place of calling you Abba, Father. And Father, we trust that you will have your way with each of us this week, each of us as individuals, as families, as a community of this local church. May you be honored and glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.